Welcome to the 98th episode of the Young Turps Podcast from the Viner Forgate Studio. This is your host, Mason Viner. And your co-host, Jordan Viner. And on today's podcast, we're talking about Maryland's loss to Michigan and what the rest of the season looks like at this point. But before we get into all of that, this podcast is brought to you by Ally Party Rentals, your hometown Terrapin party rental resource. Allied has what you need, whether you're hosting a large wedding, putting together a small luncheon, or setting up a street festival. Allied has the tents, chairs, linens, china, and other accessories that you're looking for. Wayne from Turp Talk has known Donnie and Allied since 1995. Located right next to College Park in Beltsville, Maryland, and serving the entire DMV, contact Allied today for a free, no obligation quote at 301-986-0067, or visit them on the web at alliedpartyrentals.com. Jordan, now for the Terrapin Rundown. Want to start things off as always here in the non-rev report. The Lady Terps capped off their season winning 71-62 over Illinois in College Park on Saturday. And with that win, they finished the season as the Big Ten regular season champions and a 26-3 record. They will next play on March 8th at noon in Indianapolis for the Big Ten quarterfinals. So the outright champs in basketball yet again are the Lady Terps. Uh, we talked about last time they won a share, but now they are the full champions. Uh, up next for the wrestling squad, they have the Big Ten Championship meet in Minneapolis on Saturday and Sunday. Not expecting much at all, but maybe they can pull something off. But again, definitely not going to happen. Probably not. Um, gymnastics had a rough weekend. They went 0-2 losing to BYU and George Washington. However, they got some revenge as they defeated George Washington in a rematch yesterday. Yeah, um, they had some really impressive showings yesterday on the gymnastics squad. I believe two or three Terps had personal records in their um, events, but, you know, it's been a little bit of an up-and-down season for gymnastics so far. I think it's a fair way to put it. Uh, next up, they will travel to Philadelphia to take on Temple. That is on Friday. Uh, tennis is officially in trouble at this point, as they are now 2-7 and seven after losing to William Mary 2-4 to four, and then losing to Princeton 3-4, to four, both at home. They now enter Big Ten play on Saturday, hosting Rutgers. The match is at noon, and hopefully they can turn it around in conference. Yeah, hopefully. I don't know much about the history of the tennis program, but 2-7 is not really... Uh, doing much softball went one and two in the Carolina Classic last weekend, losing to GW five to two. Uh, they rain they were rained out against FAU and they did not play and then they lost to UNC eleven to five. They did close out the weekend with a blowout win against UNC Greensboro and I think they won by seventeen to nine, which was the most run scored by Maryland softball and I think it was since twenty fourteen or fifteen. I do not score is correct. I don't know about the record, but regardless, I, I'm i pretty satisfied with the weekend for softball. If you can't tell, I was very active on um, non-rev Terps Twitter this weekend. Uh, um, baseball also went 1-2 and two in their series down in the Bayou against Louisiana at Lafayette. Uh, they won the first game 4-2 and then lost the next two. One of those went 14 or 15 innings. And then later today, they will host Delaware for just one game before traveling to face 
Stetson University in Florida for a three-game set over the weekend. Um, women's Lacks remains undefeated and number two. This time they blew out Hofstra, also 17-9 on the road. Uh, the train doesn't stop, though. They have another huge game, this time hosting Syracuse at noon at home. Somehow, though, this top-five matchup is only on BTM+. Which is a little disappointing. Uh, men's Lacrosse took a little bit of a fall down the pole to number seven. Towson is now the number one team after topping Loyola, who was the number one team earlier this past week. Uh, the Terps lost yeah, at Notre Dame in a heartbreaker, 14-13 to in overtime. Next up for the Terps is UAlbany, who has been in the news a little bit recently over an NCAA violation that was absolutely stupid. And Albany is trying to get back on track after a bad start to the season. This is not a trap game, even though Jordan decided to put that on our show notes. Albany is a very good team that's beaten Maryland a few times over the past years in this recent series, um, including last year, that game where Maryland was up big and then fell all the way back down to losing. Jordan, we watched some of that on TV. No way this is a trap game. I'm just saying that right now. Terps are going to be ready. Albany, of course, has Nanakoke, who was suspended by the NCAA, which is what I was referring to earlier, now is not, so he will be playing against the Terps. Like, all I know is Albany was supposed to be pretty good starting the season, and they have since fallen off the wagon a little bit, and this just feels like a game that Albany is going to go all out for to try to win, just by the circumstances around the game. But you got to remember, I mean... Albany had been struggling to reach that Final Four for so long, and then they finally did last year. And sure, they've gone, they've started off poorly, but you're talking about a team that did go to the Final Four, have one of the best players in all of college lacrosse, or you know, coming up on being probably the best player in Nanakoke. There's just there's so much offense on Albany. They're coached by such a great coach and Coach Marr that you really just you got to just you can't take this one lightly and i'm sure John Tillman never takes a game lightly and it's going to be a battle up there in upstate new york but i'm sure the turps will be ready for it especially after they lost all right we're moving off the non-rev trail here kevin herder had one of the coolest moments i think at least any trip has ever had kevin grew up wearing number 3 because Dwayne Wade was his favorite player and also played his position of shooting guard and after last night's game against the Heat, Wade actually tracked Kevin Herter down and asked to swap jerseys with him once he learned that Herter wore his jersey, his number because of Dwayne Wade. And that's just that's just an amazingly cool thing for me, to have your hero walk up to you and ask to swap jerseys with you. Yeah, it was a great moment. Kevin Herter, of course, number three in high school, uh, number three in the NBA, too, was not number three at Maryland because I believe that number is I don't think anybody's put on number three since Juan Dixon at Maryland. I mean, for obvious reasons, Juan, one of the best players in the program. But it was a cool moment. Obviously, it was all over Twitter for all of you guys that are out there on the Maryland Twitter. Uh, the funniest thing that I saw was a banner up on the Raptors of Xfinity Center that said, Kevin Herter swapped jerseys with Dwayne Wade in 2019. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. Um, so after Byron Tart and Duran Gray both had meh days at the Combine, for those who've been following, they didn't go great for the two Terps. Darnell Savage kind of made up some ground for us with the fastest time of any safety in the 40-yard dash this season. Yeah, um, 
I think Savage is just going to be a great player. I think he's coming in right away and contributing to whatever team he ends up on. Um, I think Derwin had a had some positives. Obviously, he um, has great size. He had a pretty good 40 time. But at the end of the day, you know, the combine does tell a lot. But, of course, these guys still have their pro days in front of them. They still have a lot of time, even if they didn't perform their best at the combine, to, you know, still have chances to prove themselves in more the without football activities. I think that's fair. Also, Byron Tower, God remember, had a great time at the Senior Bowl. So, it's not a huge, it's not a big loss for the Terps. So now on to our last item here on the rundown, which I think is pretty relevant. And I'm actually, we have some opposing viewpoints on that, and that is, of course, the commissioner of the Big Ten, Jim Delaney, retiring in 2020 after 31 years as the commissioner of the league. Uh, We have opposing viewpoints here in that I don't really like Jim Delaney. I'm not going to say he isn't extremely important in the way that college sports has evolved, but also I don't like the way college sports have evolved. So if you like where the Big Ten is now, then you're probably more in his camp than I am. I don't like the way college sports has evolved either. It's just... I don't really blame Jim Delaney for it. You have to remember, isn't the first conference to make one of these moves was the SEC to add these other teams from other conferences. It was not the Big Ten. Oh, that's debatable in the grand scheme of things because the first first one of those, most people would say it's Penn State, who obviously you know joined the Big Ten. But Penn State was an independent team. Well, that is true. Penn State was an independent team. It's kind of the mentality of adding schools in terms of finances instead of fit. Most people would say it was Penn State. Because Penn State was independent for a really long time. That's something else you can remember. And when the Big Ten came knocking, Penn State joined them, which also prompted Pitt to join the Big East. Also, Penn State was going to join the Big East. I mean, not... Yeah, that's actually correct. Penn State was going to join the Big East with Pitt before the Big Ten called them. That's a kind of interesting fact in the hindsight of things. Look, Jim Delaney was, has been really important in building the Big Ten into a stable conference and one of the more lucrative conferences around. I think it's actually the SEC that gained them this year. But I, I just don't – I never liked – his demeanor, I guess, in general. I always felt like he was a bit full of himself, but I'm not going to say that he wasn't good for the Big Ten. Yeah, I think that he's done a lot, though, in his time. The Big Ten Network was obviously added during his time, which now every conference wants a TV network. I mean, you can go down his list of accomplishments, and he's done a lot of great things. Now, do I think that it will affect the conference really negatively? That he's gone, no, I don't. I think they'll be able to find someone else to really step up. Obviously, you said it, the Big Ten is up there with one of the highest earning conferences. They have one of the most watched football teams. There's just, there's so much, you know, I know Tate's sound like a Big Ten 
add, but there's so much tradition and great fan bases inside the Big Ten that it's not going to be hard to find another commissioner, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be, but it will be hard to find another guy that's going to last 31 years in the job. That is absolutely true, and I think one of the things I will give Jim Delaney a lot of credit for is he did keep the Big Ten focus off of football and basketball, which is something a lot of conferences struggle to do. He made moves like adding John Hopkins for lacrosse, adding Notre Dame for hockey. Also, if he pulls this off before he retires next June, this will be my favorite move of all time. He's trying to add Arizona State through Big Ten hockey as Arizona State's developed into a powerhouse for hockey. And if that happens, that will be one of my all-time most ridiculous moves ever. So I kind of hope it happens. I don't really think it's ridiculous. Excuse me? I don't. Are aware of where Arizona State is? Yeah, but there's no conference down there. That's not true. The Great West Conference is out there. They're, they're the front runners to land them, actually. But that's this is way off topic. It would just be like if they had a Utah for lacrosse, just some team that's kind of out there by themselves, but they're a good program, and they want to come with other good programs, like the Big Ten in hockey. Like, it, it just it makes – no, it really doesn't make geography sense or – really any sense. I just think it's a good program that's on the rise, that's building something, and we want to add them in their into our conference because they further our profile. And perhaps that is maybe Jim Delaney's legacy in a nutshell right there, is that he didn't always have regard for tradition when making his moves. He was very forward-thinking despite what some people may say. And is the conference better for having him? Probably. Is college sports better for having him? I don't know the answer to that one. I'd say probably not. But he definitely did his job to protect the Big Ten. And for that, I'll give him credit. All right. Well, I guess we agree to disagree on that because I I just – I don't know how you can say that. I mean – it's a business. It evolves. It, people want but it money. Wasn't always but a that business. no, That's the thing no. People don't understand. People saw the money in college sports and they attacked it like an actual business. They brought business people in, not sports people, not educational people. They wanted business people because sports can provide at the highest level of sports, not all of college sports, at the Big Ten SEC level, you know, that Power Five level. Sports provides a whole different level. Of foundation, monetary, and exposure for these high-level universities that allows them to get more kids to apply, that gives them a forte to kind of almost level out where they are as an academic institution with where they are as an athletic institution because there are people like me who part of my goals when choosing a university is what the sports teams are at that school because it it's just part of the college experience for sports fans. So there is I, there is a it's just such a big business at this point and people saw that opportunity and they took it. I honestly do not fault them for it. I refuse to disagree with you as someone who studies sports as an academic field, but we will leave it at that. Alright, well, we can leave it at that if you want to, Jordan, but yeah, there is there was a Maryland game this weekend and let's go ahead and talk about that. Terps 
go down to Michigan in front of, and let's let's just take a minute to talk about the atmosphere that Xfinity Center was on Sunday. The flash mob, let's just get all that um, out of the way so we can talk about the actual game. Uh, first off, being there, I got to say, it was a really great environment. Obviously, Maryland honored the 100th year of Maryland basketball, brought back all these alumni. And it was just a great, it was a great venue, as we knew it was going to be when the game sold out a few weeks ago. It was the place to be. Especially early on when Maryland came out, I believe they started off 6 to nothing. The place was going nuts. But as the game trickled away, so did the fan support. People got very um, irritated with the coaching of Mark Turgeon, as they always do when Maryland loses. And it was just, by the end of the game, a pissed-off crowd. It looked like a lot of fun to be there from TV and you know, checking out YouTube and social media and the like. The first half, especially for the Terps, was pretty good, pretty solid. Um, but I don't know how much of it was actually Maryland playing well or Michigan just missing so many three-pointers in the first half. Yeah. Uh, I thought Maryland came out strong. I thought that... Just Maryland had it going for him. It was a just packed house, so it really drove Maryland to play well. And yeah, Michigan was missing a lot, but at the end of the day, that happens. I mean, how many games have we set, seen this year where teams have missed a lot against Maryland? Well, I think a lot of that is because Maryland is most of the time a really good defensive team, and that was true in the first half today, but Michigan just they just had grinded the Terps in the end and Maryland went stone cold for huge stretches in the second half. Yeah, let's talk about some of those moments. I was very upset at the end of this game. I felt like Maryland was just purely outcoached by Beeline. But it wasn't until the press conference where John Beeline it was just fantastic he was talking about how with Michigan it's about every possession you always have to value the ball you know you always gotta be looking for a good shot doesn't matter where the shot clock is you always have to be looking for that next pass that good shot take care of the ball every time you touch it you know he's pretty much throwing up his hands and I don't think you can see this in our video up on terptalk.com a beeline after the game but if you just listen to what he says and the passion that he talks about it with I mean, he was almost, I can just see him being a great basketball coach that's passionate about basketball, and then when Coach Turgeon comes up, you can just see that pure, that just that difference. I know that Turgeon's not a big fan of the press conferences or really even, at this point, I would even say, even having people ever watch him coach basketball ever, I don't really think Coach Turgeon's a fan of that. But just the way that John Beeline talks about the game of basketball and talks about what you need to do as a player to succeed. And he's not talking to his team. He's talking to the media. People that most coaches think that only almost negative things can only come out of what you say to the media. But he's talking about exactly how they want to do things 
when talking about taking care of the basketball, running into the shot clock situations, and then you look at the game and you can see, huh, that little thing that Michigan does, the little end cut to the basket or the, the sky hooks that Xavier Simpson shot, you can see why Michigan makes runs. You can see why people think they're a greatly coached team because they just do. They just make those little plays, those little instinct plays. The way they finished the half, I think, was a prime example of that. I agree that John Beeline is when you, at least when I think of like what a coach should be in terms of being a positive figure, being someone who really cares about his players, being a good teacher to his guys for both the game and for life, John Beeline really is the first person I think of. He just seems like he just seems like the kind of guy you'd want your kid to go play for, in my opinion. Not even from a basketball perspective, just from being a guy. He seems like a good teacher and a good and a good coach. And Michigan doesn't have the super talent that Maryland does. The um, the Castleton kid, the freshman. I'm sure you know. I'm talking about Mason number fifty-five. I think. Yeah, he was or playing backup 11. center, and I believe yeah, he was the- only playing because Charles Matthews was hurt. Yeah, he looks like a to me he just looks like a skinny kid who had no business being a basketball court, but he gave solid minutes. I would stretch in my head to think that he's more than a three star recruit. But he just he's perfectly a John Beeline guy. He's almost like um I had something in mind. He reminds me of Tom Tom Osborne's like walk on program almost because he doesn't get super highly regarded players very often, but he just he gets them. And they usually won't play in the first season, but they, by the time they're like seniors, juniors, they turn to you end up with Teske. Like John Teske. Yeah. Uh, the thing that I also want to say about that guy was, and it's another coaching thing, how when that guy walks onto the court, it's not like you don't see him when he's subbing. They're seeing him when he's sitting at the scores table to come in. How, as a coach or as a player, does no one identify that we got to get that matchup? We have to get Bruno on that guy going towards the basket. At least well, to try. I mean, that just seems so simple to me. And I could explain why, but I won't, just in the interest well, of time. To to be fair, though, um, Beeline was, had Tusky shadowing Bruno for most of the game. I know, but uh, he took out... Teske for Castleton. I know, but I'm just saying that he only played Castleton when it fit the when it fit the matchups. Beeline did. He was very careful about not exposing Castleton to Maryland's front court when Sticks and Friend were both on the floor. Um, I'm trying to think. There's one moment in this game. It was here. It is. It was. During the around the six minute mark, Maryland, when Xavier Simpson came back in after being in foul trouble, Michigan breaks out in a seven to zero run, and Maryland has a five minute scoring drought, not field goal drought, a five minute scoring drought, where this game just got out of hand. And this keeps and, happening, and it needs to stop. Why do I feel like every time we do this show after one of these games, am I just? baffled by the fact that Maryland goes five minutes without a field goal or five minutes without a point, seven minutes. How? 
Can someone explain to me? I mean, this is March. We're not talking about October or November or, you know, some game that they play in Italy. And I don't even know when they pull those in summer, I guess. We're talking about March. This has been happening the whole season. Where is the adjustment? Put Wiggins in. Do something. Just, even if it didn't work, just do something. Run a play. Run a pick and roll. Pull out something that you haven't run all year and just try it. I don't care if it's Lindo jacking up threes. Just do something different for once. Well, maybe, maybe not Lindo jacking up threes. Lindo can make threes. I might have to get a shirt that, that was, says that. He was 0 for 1 in this game. I'm just saying. I know. And I really I wanted him to put it up multiple times. And the what people the in the section the people in the section kept on saying, please almost like stop saying that because that's just not his game. One day. One day they'll realize. Maybe yeah, well maybe one day he'll find that flex for capacity and then um not much else to say here. That stretch around eight minute mark where Xavier Simpson came back in and the Terps couldn't score. That really buried the team. Um the other one was, before we get into our deep stat dive here, John Teske hit his first three of the game again to bury us. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't like Teske with the bow and arrow move, but Maryland was really on the Michigan players, um, especially Brastakas. Brastakas. How do you say his name? Bra- Iggy Brastakas. Yeah. Let's let's talk about the the you are ugly chant here for a minute. It's not. I mean, I I never liked it really either. I think it's a bit, maybe a bit too mean. But oh my god, it's nothing new. A bit too mean. We're talking about the same student section. They used to fill, the fill in the words between zombie nation. Let's go even further back. The same student section they used to chant f u j j. The same student chant that used to. Do during Zombie Nation F Duke between between the lines where a team will usually yell, you know, we are whatever. Maryland used to say F Duke. They stopped playing Zombie Nation just because of that and switched to Seven Nation Army just to get rid of that. Because no matter what really? team you were playing, that's what was happening. I that look. Is that, do you know that is that just a theory? That is definitely a theory. But think about it. Think about when they quit playing Zombie Nation and think about during that 2010 game when they started with the um, with the F Duke between, I don't even know what to call it, between the, I don't know, it's not like there were words in the song. Okay, whatever. But, you know, I hated it. Let's, I mean, come on, it's college basketball. It's Maryland. Ain't nobody ever asked the other teams to stop chanting USA at Gravis Vasquez. The only chant that I think if I was the coach that I would stop, I mean, besides the obvious, I mean, there's a list of things that every normal person would, would be when you start chanting overrated at the other team. I can't stand that. But if you're saying you're ugly to a guy that I personally think is 
not honestly, he's not that ugly. But I'm not stopping that. Worry about the game. I mean, it was just it was a little bit ridiculous to me knowing we're being a Maryland fan. Maryland's a pretty on you place. I just I I I just I don't know. I couldn't stand it, but hey, at least Mark Churgeon could get a different group of Maryland students to listen to him. Oh, Mason's out here with the Burns today. Right, and it was just uh... it bothered. Did it not bother you? I mean, it's a pretty. It's not a good chant. Like, they've done it to Isaac Hoss for the past, I don't even know how many years. But did it not bother you that... Did they, Did they? first of all, did they announce it on the broadcast that they stopped? Um, I'm actually not sure what you're talking about, so I... Well, I'm talking know. about the You Are Ugly chant. I know that, but I don't know what specifically you're talking about here. Did they, like, acknowledge that Turgeon told them to stop on the broadcast? Do you say that during a timeout? No, it was during the game. I, I think it was while he was shooting free throws. Like over the PA? Over the PA. No, I did not know that happened. Okay, so they're chanting, you are ugly, Adam. And then Matt Noble, the PA guy for Maryland football and basketball, and he did some of the radio games, but that's beside the point here, comes on the PA and says, Coach Turgeon would appreciate if you would stop using that cheer. No, I did not know that happened. Uh, it doesn't really surprise me because it did stop very abruptly on um, on TV. But I'm yeah, not, like, that, I'm that's not, that's how it I'm went. Not super concerned about it. Like that took probably like what maybe twenty seconds or something to say that to Matt. So it's not a big concern for me. There's probably a lot more people upset about it than I am, but. It doesn't bother me really either way. All right, let's get to the box score here. Um, let's start off with Bruno Fernando, who went 39 minutes, a leader in minutes for Maryland in this game. Bruno, 5 for 13, 2 for 2 from the free throw line, 10 boards, 6 blocks, 3 turnovers, 2 fouls, 12 points on the day. Um, he really... Other than a few breakaway dunks and some dunks early on, did not do much for Maryland when they needed him to put the ball in the basket. No, offensively, Bruno was a bit of... Well, actually, I would say Bruno was really bad offensively in this game because he had a lot of shots where he really just forced it up. Yeah. Um, I was specifically talking about when he was back to the basket against Teske like, there were times, at least on TV, you could see really clearly, like, okay, Teske has the angle on him. He's not going to be able to get an open shot up here, but he just forced it up. And I'm not sure why. He usually doesn't do that. But I just think he looks frustrated out there to me. Usually at the game, you can hear almost everybody, you know, talking amongst themselves with their groups that they go to the game with. And... Jordan, I'm not sure if you realize this because we just moved our tickets at the Xfinity Center, but there are quite a lot of people that love to get up and scream in our section. But you could just hear everybody saying, no, no, kick it out, kick it out, and then he would throw something up there. It's the same thing you go through with sticks almost every game. It doesn't really happen with Bruno because Bruno's such a talented passer. But it was almost like every time he touched the ball, you know, kick it out. They're doubling you down low. I... I 
yeah, it was kind of almost unlike Bruno. Yeah, it, it just I think he wanted to. I think he was frustrated from his last performance against Tes- against Teskey, where basically the same thing happened. Teskey just out muscled him, which I'm sure he's not used to, and I'm not used to either. But that's not to say that Bruno didn't have any good plays. He had a couple really good dunks. He had Marcel early in the game had maybe the best pass I've seen at Trip Mank all season to Bruno on the baseline for a dunk. Do you remember that one? Um, no, it's I do not remember that one, but I'm also gonna say we've had some half court lobs this year, so that's that's a big statement, Jordan. Yeah, that is true. Uh Bruno has pick six from the top of the key early in the first. And then you there's a lob from Ant to Bruno where it looked like Anthony Cowan actually missed it a little bit high, but Bruno soared and dunked it home. I don't know if you saw that one, but that one was an amazing play. Yeah, there were there were a lot of great plays in this game. Um Let's talk about Jalen Smith, who at the beginning of the game could not catch the ball for to save himself, but only 20 minutes. He did get pulled out of a lot of the first half. Coach Turgeon said it was foul trouble, but he was really struggling in a lot of ways. He did come back in the second half to have a few really amazing possessions. I think it was three in a row. Five for eight, one for two from three, hit the first points of the game for Maryland. Five rebounds, 11 points. I really don't know what to say about Sticks anymore. He came out again. He hit a three. When he hit that three, I thought it was going to be a different game. And then the two fouls, the turnovers. I mean, he doesn't have any turnovers on the stat sheet, but he was dropping the ball. I don't know if those are his turnovers, but he was the one that was fumbling the ball around. Yeah, Sticks had a pretty – actually, I don't think Sticks had a bad game. He hit the, yeah, he hit the three. He had some good – he had some great half. moments in the second half. Um, he also, though, the thing that stands out to me the most is around the five-minute mark, he missed two free throws that really set the Terps in a bad spot. Yep. So, mixed bag for him. I'd say he's actually maybe about on par with Bruno for this game because Bruno was really big on defense, which we really didn't talk about, but he was. So I think they both had like almost average or neutral performances, maybe rather than average. Yeah, let's um, talk about Eric Ayella. Thirty-three minutes, four for seven, two for four from three, two rebounds, a couple of assists, a couple of turnovers, fouls, ten points. He kind of disappeared a little bit in this game, but. At the end of the day, he's a really good player. He's not the focal point of this offense. Four for seven is good for him. Two for four from three. When you look at the big angle in this game, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit more after we get through all these stats, there are two guys that do it for Maryland. It's Fernando and Cowan. And when they're four for 15 from Cowan and five for 13 from Bruno, you're just really not going to win a lot of games. No, and the way the offense is structured right now, and I mean, this is for a reason, but the way it's structured is that without those two, it's a bunch of role players. And Ayala and Marcel, too. Marcel actually had a better than average game. He was 4 for 8 with 10 points. They probably both played about what they're supposed to do. Marcel maybe a little more, but they're not focal points. They don't take enough shots to be focal points. They don't have enough plays run for them. And they both played pretty admirably, but it wasn't enough. Yeah, Daryl Morcell is just hit on four for eight, one for four from three. 
knockdown was only free throw. Three rebounds, four assists, three fouls, ten points. Really solid, even a little bit better than average offensive game for Morsell. A lot of those threes are into the shot clock ones where he's just the open guy. He takes the shot. I don't have a problem with it. But at the end of the day, four for eight, again, it's great from a role player, as you just hit on. But the main guy, and let's just talk about him right now, Anthony Cowan, four for 15, one for seven from three, only shoots two free throws, three rebounds, one assist from your point guard, four turnovers, four fouls, ten points. Jordan, we keep on talking about it, and it's pretty simple in this one, too. You just need more out of Cowan. I don't know what happened to Anthony Cowan in this game because he's a pretty decent big game player, but he was abysmal. He was an offensive black hole in this game. Or for you can't have your best offense or your maybe not your best offensive player, but your your star yeah. Excuse me, your straw that serves the drink go four for fifteen and have one assist. It just doesn't work. And his only three was like with a minute left in the game. These are Nick Faust numbers. I don't know what to say about it. Xavier Simpson is a very good defensive player, but he was also out for the first half of the second half. So maybe we need to try something different. Maybe we need to reincorporate Ayala back to the point. But Anthony Cowan for the second game in a row has just laid an egg. And Two games is coincidence. Three games is a trend. If he is... But Jordan, we're way... Hold on. I hate to cut you off, but hold on. We're way past three games here. There might have been a few, maybe one or two in the middle of this. But we're talking about almost a whole Big Ten season trend. We remember back in like... Ohio State, I think he had a great game... But there have definitely been more than three games where Anthony Cowan has not done much. I don't think he was shooting this much, but there are definitely games that you can go back to, and he did not do this that much. But continue. Oh, I, I, yeah, you are right on that. Looking back at his game log, he hasn't been great. Um, but he n- never was this bad, I'll say. Actually, there's only one that I can see on the stat sheet here that looks that bad, which was against um, Wisconsin. He was two. He was fourteen for sixteen. I mean, sorry, four for sixteen. I don't know if there's a solution to this. I really don't. Without Anthony Cowan, at least playing to a neutral while stimulating the offense, you really have a problem. I don't know if there's a fix for it that you can accomplish before the tournament starts in what three weeks. Yeah. Um. Let's go to the bench guys really quickly. Tomajic gets a minute. Doesn't record a stat. Ricky Lindo had a pretty solid game, 2 for 3 in 12 minutes. A few rebounds, actually 5 rebounds, 4 points. He did a great job filling in for sticks in the first half. Sorrell Smith goes 8 for minutes, 8 minutes, no points, 0 for 2 shooting. Aaron Wiggins had a really down game, 1 for 2 from the field, hit a 3, 2 free throws, 5 points, 4 fouls from Wiggins. They just they couldn't find it. They really, in the second half, could not find their stroke, even despite the 38 points. A lot of those coming in, I don't really want to call it garbage time, but really close to garbage time at the end. 
Yeah, the second half for this, like the last five to six minutes of this game, were really tough to watch, and it was just so difficult to watch the energy drain out of the stadium. Like I really was waiting the entire season for a game like this where you're hosting a ranked team and it's a it's a workable time for once. Weekend game, you finally have it, and it just fills out. Yeah. Being there and going to all the games this year, that definitely was the disappointing part. Flash mob game, you know, all the big stuff, the pride colors with the student section. Sold out venue. Sure, there are a lot of Michigan fans, but there are a lot of Michigan alumni in the DMV. And they only get, you know, they get the one football game and one basketball game. So, obviously, they're going to show out. They're going to pay the high prices, whatever. It's still a Maryland crowd. I mean, it's still that game for the season. This year, sadly, we only got two of them, Ohio State and Michigan. But it was just disappointing, and there is some more disappointing stuff that we have to get to, which is, of course, bye-bye, double-bye. It's almost done at this point that Wisconsin will take that spot over Maryland due to the Terps' late-season woes yet again. That's not guaranteed yet. Um, Wisconsin plays Iowa tonight at 6 o'clock on ESPN. Or, sorry, 7 o'clock for Eastern time. And if Wisconsin loses that game, then Maryland's back on top here. However, I don't think that's likely. Is this Wisconsin's last one for the year? No, they play Ohio State after this. So if Maryland goes 1-0 and and Wisconsin goes 1-1, and doesn't Wisconsin get it? Um, I think... Don't know, actually. I'm going to try to figure that out right now. Okay, so, well, while you're trying to figure that out. 15. I think uh, no one would get it, actually. Okay. Well, that's good news. I think that's workable. But you got to look at the big picture here. A few, I guess it was the Ohio State postgame show. Bruce says to me, 12-5, and five, we would all take that deal. But now Maryland's 12-7. and 12-7, and seven, I'm not taking that deal at the beginning of the season. I'll play whatever we need to play out. I don't like 12-7. and seven. I don't really like 13-7. and seven. It's a great conference. Top to bottom, pretty decent teams. Maybe we're lacking that one great team. But, of course, we have Michigan and Michigan State. I'm just, I'm not satisfied. I'm really not. Well, it's the same thing we said on the last podcast, which is we saw how good this team can be, and it's not living up to its potential. And maybe there's some freshman wall there. That's certainly possible. Aaron Wiggins has certainly fallen off a cliff recently, as Jalen Smith has for at least three or four weeks now. But I, I just I don't see the freshman excuse working for the most part in college basketball anymore. It doesn't. It really doesn't. So, let's focus on the positive for a minute, because this has been a very negative podcast so far. Um, we are somehow, some way, still ranked. I I would not vote for us, to be honest. I would have. But, 17 to out's a really tough one. I mean, it just kind of goes to what I was saying before, which is we are number 24. That's how good we really are. And we have been number 24 and four of the last five polls now. 
I just think it's, that is the team that we are. All right. Well, there's there's Minnesota on Friday night. Here's what I hate. Minnesota, I think later actually tonight, yeah, tonight takes on number 11 Purdue at the barn in Minneapolis. And they have Maryland. If they win these two games, they're 20-11 and 11 and they're going to the tournament. They're 7th currently in the conference. They're on the bubble. Even if they win, you're playing desperation. I mentioned this on the postgame show. I hate Maryland against desperation. We're talking about a team that needs to win. They need that road win. They need it for their resume. We're going back to the NIT. That's what Patino's saying. We're going back to the NIT if you don't show up tonight. And there aren't going to be a lot of people there. It's a Friday night at 7 o'clock. Just the reality of it. Maryland's going down. They don't have a game this week to kind of rejuvenate anybody. There aren't going to be a lot of people at this game. Thinking 13,000. Yeah, that's, that's about right. You got to be ready to go. And then you go to the Big Ten tournament. And if you don't get that double bye, even if you do, you know what you're going to be playing against, Jordan? I assume desperation. Desperation. Maryland's not a great conference tournament team. Turgeon, Gary, Lefty. I mean, Maryland's just not good in the conference tournament to start with. But then you got to play against the one thing that well, there are a lot of things that beat up on Mark Turgeon. But one thing that really stands out against Turge, which is these desperate teams that need to win and they need to win now, and Maryland loses to them a lot. Before we wrap it up, this podcast has also been brought to you by Maryland Eurocars. When you're looking for someone to work on your European car, look no further than Maryland Eurocars. We have a few Audis in the family and some BMWs at the office. And we take our cars to Christian at Maryland Euro Cars. Christian and his team know they're around Audis, BMWs, Mercedes, Bentleys, VWs, and many more makes. Always friendly, courteous, and honest, along with being an extra clean shop. Maryland Euro Cars is the best place to take your prized automobile, and they are the most reasonably priced shop in town. Located in Rockville, you can reach Maryland Euro Cars at 301 217 5831. Ask for Christian at 301 217 5831. And tell them that the Young Terps sent you. Jordan Maryland took on Minnesota earlier this year, but that was a different time. I don't really. I mean, it almost feels like. I know you forgot that they actually played. It almost feels like it was a whole nother season ago. Yep, I really did. Forgot. But that game does stick out to a lot of people because I think that was Jalen Smith's best game as a Terp. That was Jalen Smith's dominant game of the trip. That was one of that was one we really thought he was going to get to be our guy. Um, Minnesota has had a tough run of it, to say the least. They are on the very, very, very edge of the tournament bubble right now. Um, they are Gillinardi's last team in the tournament at the moment. So to say they need this win is an understatement. Um Minnesota is led by Amir Coffey, who feels like he's been there for, like, 20 years at this point. Yep. And Jordan Murphy, who also feels like he's been there 20 years. Um, it's just, it's the two of them. It's always been the two of them. Yep. Yeah, it has. And I don't know what else to say about him, really. 
Minnesota has just all season they've been a team that completely underwhelmed me. A lot of people talked about how just how tough they were and how good they are. I've never seen them to me really jump off the screen and be like, that's a tough team that I'm worried about playing. They've just never had that element to me. Their best win was absolutely at Wisconsin back in early January. It's just it's hard for me to get excited about playing them. I, I really like Amir Coffey and Jordan Murphy. I think they're both really good for the program Minnesota. Amir Coffey is he's Mr. Minnesota to a lot of people. His father played at Minnesota. He's from the suburb of Minnetonka, Minnesota. And he is their he's kind of their guy. But Jordan Murphy is probably gonna be first team all Big Ten. Leads the team in points and rebounds a nightly double double. Like he's almost Bruno Fernando ish in a lot of ways, except he's much shorter. He's six six, but he's still power forward. I don't know. I don't know. Mason, maybe you can give some more excitement to Minnesota than I can, because I just I said I don't I know if I can. I don't know if I can. Uh, to be honest, I don't think Minnesota's really ever played well against Maryland. I mean, obviously they had that one game at the barn when they were really awful and they beat the Terps when Maryland was ranked number two. I'm sure we all remember that game. It was very frustrating to watch. That game sucked. Yeah, totally it really that. did. It really did suck. I don't think they, Minnesota's beaten the Terps since that game. Jordan, you'll be out at College Park for this one. I don't think I'm going to make it out to the game. I got something else to do on Friday night. You know, the other day I talked about how I finally got got by that um, 6.30 time, and now I will get got by the Friday night game. It is a service that we all have to pay. Um, I think it would be really fun if everybody just talked about what, how their game time has screwed them up this season because it certainly has with me as well. But this is going to be – I said this last podcast too. I was like, this is going to be a very interesting podcast or interesting season, excuse me, to look back on retrospectively because I just never got a feel for this team still. Yeah, I just, I really don't know what to say. It seems like they've hit that wall that people love to talk about with Mark Turgeon teams, but there'll be more on that after this Minnesota game. I think the Terps, I think they pull it out against Desperation Minnesota. After my ranting about how Minnesota's desperate, I don't know how I can say that, but I will. I think Maryland takes it 71-67 to at the Xfinity Center. A little bit of a jolt going into the Big Ten tournament. Oh, here's one more fact I want to drop on you guys before we go here. Jordan Murphy is also the all-time Minnesota leader in rebounds, double-doubles, and second all-time in Big Ten rebounds. Wow. All right, Jordan, what's your prediction? Uh, I'm trusting my gut on this one. Minnesota 71, Maryland 66. All right, well, you pretty much picked my score backwards. I don't know how much of your gut was involved with that, Jordan. Well, I actually was reading Jordan Murphy's stuff when you were talking, so I might have missed that, but I'm sticking by my prediction. All right, and that's going to do it for this episode of the Young Terps podcast from the Viner Four Gates studio. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Viner Four Gates in Rockville for all of your business IT needs. Viner Four Gates is the place to go. You can reach them at 301-251-2900 or on the web at the number one viner.com. 
Allied Party Rentals for all of your party rental needs. Allied is the place to go from a luncheon in your backyard to the presidential inauguration. Allied has done it all. You can visit them at AlliedPartyRentals.com. And, of course, Maryland Eurocars. If you're looking for five-star service on your Audi, BMW, Mercedes, Bentley, VW, Christian at Maryland Eurocars is your guy. You can reach them at 301-217-5831. That's Maryland Eurocars. We'll be back over the weekend to talk about the Maryland-Minnesota game. Until then, thanks for listening.